This is Will from Psalm, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back with a brand spanking new episode. That's right. Tonight. Now, we've been working on this one for a while. You're in for a wild ride. Tonight, we have the one, the only, Simon Brody of Drowning Man. It was an excellent conversation. There's a lot of great stories in this one. So strap in. You're in for a wild ride. He's he, he's an interest dude. He's he's an interesting character. Like that's the best way I can explain. It. Like he's a really heartfelt and and clearly kind person. But he it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it's been a- <laughs> yeah. We won't we won't give away too much. Let me just say this: Drowning Man are not only an excellent band, but I would say almost conceptual and comedic geniuses as well. Yeah, they he gets into a couple things that I go. There is one point in this that I don't know how Keith is going to edit it because I was laughing so hard. I had tears streaming down my face <laughs> and it was, I know the part you're talking about. It's, it's literally a one word answer. <laughs> and it just, it was just like the most perfectly timed thing. It was like, it was something out of a movie and the fucking way he answered it was just so deadpan. And like, I don't know why it hit me so hard, but it made, I was, I I was laughing so unbelievably. My stomach hurt after that episode. So phenomenal. (laughs) Just, he's a great guest and he's a really nice guy. Yeah. You're going to love it. So get ready for that. And folks, a few quick reminders, follow us on everything. Twitch.tv slash the new scene, Instagram and Twitter, new scene pod, Facebook, the new scene, YouTube, the new scene and subscribe to us on YouTube, please. Oh, and write to us at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. We would like to hear from more of you. We want to know how we're doing. We want to know how you're doing. So feel free to reach out. And we need more Apple Podcast reviews. If you like the show, give us five stars. Write a nice review. We'll read it on the air. There you go. And, and of course, support Iodine Recordings, our sponsor. Check them out at iodinerecords.com. They've got a lot of great bands. They've got a lot of great stuff. Boom. Done. Simple. All right. So we have some breaking scene news. It seems like Every Time I Die is done. Jordan Buckley from Every Time I Die has posted the following statement. Andy, Jordan, Steve, and Goose's last show with Every Time I Die was on December 11th, 2021. While we hope to come to an agreed upon legal statement that outlined the truth, We were informed today of something planned to be released, not mutually agreed upon, that consists of inaccuracies and controls a narrative to benefit one. There has been no direct communication with Keith because it's either impossible for direct communication with him solely, or we've been cut off to any and all communication by him himself. Now, this sounds like what is this thing that's being released? It sounds like maybe Keith is releasing a statement yeah, that it, they don't all agree with, and so they're quitting the band. That's what it sounds like to me. That's that's what I got from it as well. Basically, what I'm hearing is Keith was going to release something. It had a whole bunch of stuff in there that they think is not true, 
and tried to back up his side of the story. Um, they have not spoken with him, but they're saying that holiday show that they played December 11th is the last, that would be the last every time I die show ever. Wow. That's brutal. Wow. Yeah. So the statement ends, we wouldn't be where we are today without every single person that's backed the band in any and all ways. While we're extremely disappointed in how this was played out online in front of you, your support and the memories we have because of you all will always be cherished. See you soon. Forever and grateful. Andy Jordan, Stephen Goose. Now I'm glad I got to see uh, two songs of theirs at Furnace Fest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Cause it looks like the band is done now, but I wonder what's going on. We, we need to get to the bottom of this, Tommy, you and I personally. I, I don't think I have the time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Nor the resources. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think is going on, Tommy? Do you think it's Keith communicating things and not being on the same page with his bandmates? Or do you think his bandmates have the real story and Keith has not the real story? And What do you think it is? I think it's, Do you have a theory? I think it's somewhere in the middle. It's got to be, right? I think it's, it. you know, there's two sides to every story. Rarely is anything in this world black and white. There is always some type of gray area. And I feel like, especially with people that are have been connected for so long, and literally brothers, I, this might be something that I'm hoping eventually, after some time passes, can be resolved. I hope so, because the band is great. I mean, the guys are brothers in the band, Keith and Jordan. And so many people love them. I hope they can work it out. And listen, I would like to extend my offer. We Now, typically, we only do one-person interviews, but we would like to extend our offer to have the entire band on and hash this thing out. We can get it done, I'm sure. 100%. Well, that's that's what I keep getting out. I keep going back to that line. There's been no direct communication with Keith. Everything's been secondhand. So this is some whisper down the lane, telephone-type shit where, you know. Yeah, we'll get everybody on. We'll mediate. Well, everyone's voice will be heard and we'll, we'll fix this. No problem. Can you imagine that? <laughs> no. Like, so <laughs> no. how did I- the issues here clearly run much deeper than oh. Tommy and I, in our podcast, we, we recognize that, yeah, but it, yeah. listen, the offer still stands. Okay. We've got two big albums dropping this week on my birthday of all days. We've had the pleasure of speaking to both of these bands. Yeah. Anxious Little Greenhouse, which was last week's episode, and Psalm, The Shape of Everything. Two amazing records, both coming out on the same day. Your thoughts, Tommy? Uh, I'm excited for both of them. Big thing that I keep thinking about is we have these things that happen that seem to be just coincidences, where things just line up perfectly, and two of our new favorite bands that are coming out are releasing music on the same day and it is your birthday. I always go back to that, like Mike Shaw thing of we find one Oh eight everywhere. You know, it's like, it's just one of these things. It's just, it's a great set of coincidences. And I also, I honestly start to think like, maybe this isn't a coincidence. Maybe this is just something like the kind of universe taking care of us and making sure that we're okay in a place where we're going to be able to be okay after this. I like that. That's where my head is at too, with all of this stuff. I'm going to be 40 years old. Can you believe that? Yeah. Well, you're the same age. <laughs> you're three months older than I am. So yeah, no, I, I I rapidly see this date approaching for myself as well. So, you know, yeah, it's it's just, I think it's just another day, another time, another anniversary, another movement forward. And on top of that, we can look back at 
all of it and go, look at how much we've gotten done in the last two years. Exactly. So much. Yeah, this doesn't have to be about, oh, I'm turning 40. It's like, look at the last two years. Like, this is just, it's been a, it's been an awesome time and I'm just glad that we get to share it together. Same here. Same yeah. here. So I was thinking about this, Tommy, an interesting point of discussion. What is the best live show you can remember seeing in recent times? Well, I haven't been. No, a- think about it. Think about it. I know you haven't been to a ton of shows, but in recent, let, let's say the last five years. Okay. There's got to be, or wait, what year is it? 2022? Yeah. 2019, 1870. Yeah, last five or six years. What is a show that stands out in your mind as the best live show you've been to? All Else Failed at Century Bar in South Philly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that that one definitely stands out for me. And I remember renting a car and drive. It was a weeknight. I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, Thursday or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that that one was great because it wasn't. It was kind of out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? They didn't like prep and practice and announce, and it was just like, here we are. Let's do it. Yeah, it was funny on stage. It was the people were like, play this, and they all kind of look at each other like, we don't, we haven't practiced that, so that, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> Uh, that was a great one. Yeah, I only remember it was a weeknight because if anybody's ever been to an All Else Failed show, you're screaming the lyrics the whole time. Uh, I remember I went to go teach my class the next morning and I had uh, lost most of my voice. <laughs> I didn't really, I wasn't really <laughs> able to teach as much as I was like, good morning, guys. <laughs> like I had to whisper the whole time. Like it was, it was a, it was a mess. Did the children ask what was wrong? I said that I had gone and seen a friend's band the night before and I was singing along with them. And, you know, I, I don't have a great singing voice. So uh, I, I think I don't sing terribly often. So I kind of like damage my voice a little bit. And the kids, the kids. I'm surprised you said that much. I would have just been like, oh, I don't feel good or something. Oh, no. I mean, I think I always think it's funny. Like the kids always kind of poke at like your personal life, what your interests are, what things that you're interested in. And, you know, depending on the mood I'm in and depending on the group of kids I have, I'll kind of give them a little peek into what I really enjoy. And most of the time they're horrified. There's a handful of kids that have seen stuff like that, like that I've shown them, you know, videos from bands playing and they're like, that seems like it's a lot of fun. I'm like, okay, that's a great attitude. (laughs) Yeah. Most people see it and go, that is really scary. That looks like that looks like it's not fun. <laughs> it's really scary and really fun. Oh yeah. My favorite live show, I just count Furnace Fest as a show because I saw every single band in the world in one weekend. It's gonna be hard to beat that. But if I weren't going to go with that, I'd probably have to pick an all else failed show too. I mean, take your pick. Because those are always the best times. Yeah, they really uh there was another one they did at Kung Fu Necktie. Yeah, I think I'm going with that one because that was also part of the genesis of our show. And I was thinking about this earlier today, Tommy. Do you remember before the podcast was even an idea, we were going to play music together? Like I was going to try to start up the basement year, my band again, and you were going to play bass. Remember that? I do. Do you want to still do that? I have to get a bass, but yeah. I would. Talk. My thing is, is like I. So I ordered that interface Saturday afternoon. So it's coming next in the next two, like in the next week and a half, two weeks or something like that. So uh, I'll be able to start kind of messing around with what recording looks like on Kelly's MacBook. So it'd be really fun. I, I'm I'm super into it. Yeah, I mean, 
I think I just want to, I just want to play. I just really want to learn how to do it. Like it just, get the basics down of what you should be doing to get correct tone to be able to, you know, and I think a lot of it's just going to be kind of like what we did with the show. It's going to be experiment, see what works and then toss out the shit that doesn't and keep the shit that does and just keep moving forward. If you learned the set and if I learned the songs again and we just had a really good drummer, yeah, we could just show up somewhere and play the EP. Oh yeah. It's a, I think we should do that. It's what four songs, right? Five, five. I could do that. All right, done deal. We are now top podcasters and top musicians. What do you think of that? <laughs> I always, I consistently go back to the idea of that any type of creative outlet that you and I get into together is always going to be fun. Exactly. And the fun is what's important. All right, so we're out of time for this segment, but please check back with us in the end for more, because right now we are going to talk to Simon Brody of Drowning Man. Enjoy. folks we're here now with simon brody simon welcome to the show hey hey it's great to have you here simon you know we've been we've been working on this for like a year now can you believe that i uh it seems like longer (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah it's it was uh one of those things i think when we first started to do this the band didn't exist Oh, so it wasn't even back together yet. No. And and I remember you guys were trying to get me to come on the podcast. And I was like, um, can we wait a few more weeks? Because we might have stuff to announce. And <laughs> that took ended up taking months. But we're here now. And this is very exciting. It is. It is. So, Simon, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody to kick off. How are you doing today? Today? Um, by, uh, all objective counts. I mean, I'm recovering from COVID and uh, winter in uh, the North country is a, a bleak affair, gotta say. So, I mean, I should be uh, more bummed out than I am and I, I can get there. But right now I'm doing all right. That sounds great. Are you back in Vermont now? Um, well, it, it's uh, mm, it, it's another circle of hell. I've kind of uh, decided to uh, locate myself in called Plattsburgh, New York, where where I can I can see Vermont that far <laughs> away, but uh, I can also go to a Stewart's whenever I want. So, oh, that's a bonus. Yeah, where is that? I, I guess that's I guess that's upstate New York somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, 
Oh, we're the, it's about 10, 15 minutes from Danamora. It's also right across the lake from Vermont, from Burlington. Uh, it's, it's, it's also where my girlfriend lives. Um, so therefore where I live. There you go. Mm. Yeah. My, you know, my sister lives in Syracuse. She posted the temperature the other day. It was one, oh, fuck one no. degree. Oh, it's messed up. <sighs> and all that time I spent in Kansas, fondly recalling growing up in Vermont, I did not miss this shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So did you grow up in Vermont, Simon? Um, I did from the age of three or four on. Tell us about it. Where, where in Vermont and what kind of, <sighs> what kind of deal was it? Like a suburban type deal or something oh, else? Oh, no, 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 no. My parents were kind of, uh, this, during the, uh, six, well, mostly it was in the seventies. Um, a lot of back to land people from, uh, New York, a lot of people from Long Island, from the city, moving up to Vermont, uh, kind of hippies, communes going on. So that's kind of how my parents landed here. My dad makes wooden bowls. It's, yeah, it's uh, some hippie shit is what it is, <laughs> is what it is. But um, also, then again, my, my dad has, you know, he's had his stuff displayed in the White House a couple of times. And Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, he's kind of living a parallel life with me. Like, there there are certain very few select people that would like if they heard his name would be like, "Oh yeah, I know who that is," um, or "I know who that band is," but otherwise, nobody else cares. Was your dad a musician too? Um, no, no, he wasn't. Um, he played a lot of music. Um, definitely, kind of uh, what sort of a informed me you know being as interested in music as i was later on um him getting me geez i remember the first few punk records i got where i got like a live sex pistols record that was just fucking garbage (laughs) um and then getting a gg allen cassette and i'm like no this is fucking i don't like this i mean conceptually (laughs) i like it but this is not feeling good to me so yeah, I mean, I, soon after that, you know, I discovered better stuff. But what was the better stuff you discovered? What grabbed you? Um, I, I'd say early on, uh, you know, it was kind of a. I was into like sort of new wave stuff, and I kind of you know didn't like the metal aspect of, of stuff. I, I didn't like that, but I think uh, the Bad Brains were the first band that I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, I mean, that's my. Definitely the band that I was like, this is what I want to do. So what was the, what was the scene like in Vermont? Where did you come in? What were some of the bands you saw? Like, did you have a moment where you kind of saw things going on and you're like, yes, this is something I want to be a part of? Yes. Uh, and it was the 242 Maine, um, the teen center that, that Bernie opened. I started going to it right after it opened. And, you know, just being a high school kid and seeing some of these bands play and people that I went on to play in bands with later, but, you know, there were stars to me and they were accessible and there were people that I could meet and hang out with. And there was a lot of community back then and a lot of whatever band played, people went. Um, It didn't matter what it was. 
If it was kind of underground, a lot of people went because we didn't have a lot of shows. So who were some of the bands you saw at the time that blew your mind? Verbal Assault in... Ah... I w- it was like the near the end of high school, maybe college, I don't know, late 80s. I think I might have, uh, I-, I lived an hour and a half away from Burlington. I might have taken somebody's parents' car without their permission. That they, well, the <laughs> statute of limitations has uh, elapsed on that one. But yeah, that was the first time that I saw a band. I was like, wow, wow. Yeah, and I ended up uh, going on to book at that club later. And some of the bands that I, I, I mean, I could, I could just go on and on. I mean, I saw Fugazi there in eighty nine, ninety. It was, it, I mean, I saw, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of great bands. I've seen a lot of great bands and enough great bands that. When people are like, well, why don't you like that band? And it's like, because I've fucking seen this band. That's why. <laughs> um, that's my justification for being a music snob and also writing uh, record reviews for the newspaper does that shit to you, too. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was your thing? Like, what did you want to do musically? What were you into at the time? Uh, I, I, I really like this kind of, at, at first, kind of like, you know, watching everybody and then you can kind of hang out with them and you can start doing your own thing. And I was doing zines and booking shows. And I think it was right after high school. Uh, So this is my first band started playing in the early (laughs) nineties. The singer for their band hadn't showed up and I didn't weigh over a hundred pounds till I was 21. (laughs) So, you know, I'm just a little snotty punk kid. And they handed me a microphone and they were like, after we finished the side, us made some shit up. And they were like, wow, it's a lot of, uh, very loud for such a little man. So, uh, <laughs> and that, that's kind of what happened. You know, I don't know. My self-confidence is not great, but you know, enough people told me that I was good at it. Um, that it almost got me over my imposter syndrome, but you know, that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, I just like being involved, though. And it's like you don't really think about that stuff when you're caught up in it, when you're in the spirit of it. And, uh, geez, I really feel like actually not to go too far afield, but the way things are right now, I, I really think some of that kind of community building is fucking what we need again right now. I don't feel like that's around anymore. No, no. You know, when you no. were younger, you had friends who booked shows. You had friends and bands who helped each other out. And, and now you're trying to get a T-shirt deal. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know. I was in a band a few years ago, and my friends are like, hey, could you want to help book a show? What if we play it? And they're just like, eh. And I'm like, cool. Well, fuck you, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it used to be, uh, be uh, about that, you know, going and staying on somebody's floor in a different city. And I mean... <laughs> I've had this, uh, for a while, we didn't have a place to practice, so we were renting Airbnbs. And then we uh, came on this idea of doing a Airbnb tour. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's a stupid idea, but it's, uh, and I've actually, being a lawyer, you know, I've investigated a little bit, and there are actually some <laughs> places that, you know, do allow, whatever. Not going to get into that. But, you know, uh, that kind of renegade underground stuff is, you know, without it, I don't know that this stuff means as much as it 
once did. And I don't want to be like, you know, the old guy saying, oh, back in my day. It's like, and there are still some bands that are doing that. But, you know, it's, you really like to see people that are trying to connect with other people, not just like, I'm going to write this song in my basement and dump it on, uh, you know, SoundCloud or, you know, put it on streaming platforms or whatever and never talk to anyone. But you had uh, you had the stones to just go and pick up a microphone and sing for a band without even knowing what you were doing. That's pretty good. Yeah, played our first show and knowing three songs, and I think one of them was a cover. I've always been uh, kind of putting the uh, cart before the horse. But uh. yeah. <laughs> How many different kind of bands were you in like leading up to Drowning Man? Two. Um, and kind of the... The thing with, with Drowning Man, it was very similar with other bands. I was in a band out of high school that, you know, was a band for like five or six years, a band called The Champions, and we put a, uh, a record out on Moo Cow Records, and we ended up going on to do a lot of incredible split records, um, a lot of, just so many bands. All right, so you're in The Champions. Now, this was a band for five or six years, you say? Yeah, yeah it, it, it was. Um and it was a band that we were fucking terrible when we started. Um, our bass player, uh, one of my best friends, Sterling Dew, uh, could only play bass in a sitting position on a folding chair. A real professional operation. Um, we played a three-song show, and I think we took those three songs and entered the Battle of Bands. Came in dead last. By the next year, we were first place, and right around then is when... Uh, Nirvana broke, and then all of a sudden we had all these people coming to our shows because they wanted to, you know, cram their thumb into their buddy's eye um, and do that kind of like <laughs> moshing shit. Uh, so we actually we got locally uh, we had huge shows, um, and we ended up touring with uh, a band you might have heard of called the Earth Crisis. Oh, yeah, fucking weird, weird tour. Um, <laughs> How was that tour? We had Scott from Earth Crisis on the show recently, and uh... harrowing, harrowing is how it was. <laughs> fucking harrowing. Um, how so? This is back in the day of like you know, man. I, I think it was even before beepers and all that shit. Like uh, the people were, you know, there was a very small network of people that booked tours. It was like ninety three, <laughs> and this guy was booking this tour, and somehow he asked us to. Uh, open for earth crisis even though we didn't really know each other and even though we had like maybe one we had one seven inch out um so he booked the tour and then he handed it off to us and there's like five shows for a month like all these holes in it and i tried my best to fill that in i think we all worked to do that and by the end of that summer i think they're while we were on the tour their uh firestorm seven inch came and all of a sudden they're huge fucking deal but while we're on the tour, um, it wasn't like that. We played in Tyler, Texas with uh, Unbroken and Mean Season in 1993. Holy shit. Was the, were the champions like a straight edge band? Did you fit into that scene at all? Um, in appearance? Uh, <laughs> stylistically, <laughs> we liked uh, stuff like that. Um, it was definitely, it, it, we were not straight edge, no. Um, we were not a straight edge band, but we played with straight edge bands. It, it, it's it's strange, and I think it be, became more commonplace at that time. It's like 
kind of playing metal core-ish stuff or you know the kind of proto metal core you were either straight edge or you were i don't know it, it took a while for there to be non-straight edge metal core oh that's interesting so it kind of it kind of started as a straight edge thing I, I feel predominantly, especially when you're talking about like the earth crisis and the unbroken. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty prevalent. So, so I, well, did you look straight edge at least? I mean, you must've, oh, yeah. if you got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you, you, so you had, had to look at, we least. had the fucking haircut. Um, so <laughs> anyway, uh, that band broke up, um, after that tour. And then I moved to Boston and, uh, Man, there was a lot going on around then. Um, it was when Converge was getting back together after Jeff, their bass player, had gone to McGill. They played uh, it was the New Bedford Festival. Yeah, just seeing all that early stuff happening in Boston and you know at the basement of the a co-op in, in Alston, Harvest Co-op, um, a lot of shows there, seeing Cable in the early days. Um, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, that's a that's a very rich scene. You've got Cable, you've got Jesuit, you've got Caven, you've got Converge, you've got probably a lot of other stuff. I'm forgetting. Oh, not even going to go there. It's it's like you know if, if I if I don't say somebody's name that should be mentioned, uh, I'll feel bad. But you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Cable because man, that band <laughs> in their early days, nothing could fucking touch it. So did all of that uh, influence what eventually became Drowning Man? Um, it did. At the time, I was actually in a band in Boston with some of the people from the Champions. Al from uh, American Nightmare was playing drums. Uh, my friend Justin, who's also from Vermont, who had, he had played as a touring guitarist in Shift. It was more of a kind of like a emo kind of thing, and we... Man, we really we worked for a year and the songs were fucking great. And then we played three shows and broke up. Um what happened? We couldn't agree on a name. I'm not gonna be in a fucking band named Santa. I'm just not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. It, 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 it was gruel. We could not fucking agree on a name. So actually uh, a couple of years later, when I started hey, I have a list. I have a list. What do you guys think about this? Oh, Drowning Man? Cool. Let's go. <laughs> like, that was easy. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that. The first band I was in, I went through such a crazy fight of what the band should be named that from then on, if if someone picked a name that was even just half shitty, I'd be like, yep. okay, fine. Let's go with yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you're in a band where there's this much of a problem with uh, agreeing on the band name, then uh, there's going to be problems. Um, yes. We were playing with uh, also with Ryan from uh, a band called Third Age from New Bedford area. Yeah, and then after that, uh, and this is when things were really starting to kind of, you know, there was a lot more going on in Boston, and I was like, I'm going to move back to Burlington and start this band and kind of, then we started playing more like we played at the harvest co-op you know we knew all these people there was a, a kind of a, a collective a treehouse we called the treehouse collective there were a lot of people that were involved in that back uh kurt and jake and just uh, uh john lacroix just a, a lot of people um yeah and it, it, it's man when you're in that moment 
you know, where you're like, there's some real creative shit going on here. Um, and it's definitely, that's the, you know, the soil that, uh, you know, piebald grew in, cave-in grew in. Yeah, by the time I moved back to Vermont, we started playing shows. They were like, you know, oh, there's this other new band that we should put on the show called Piebald or, you know, Cave-in or what? Yeah, it was it was a crazy time. You described it well, like the the rich soil of creativity and just all these amazing bands come out of it. Yeah, I mean, especially I hate the idea. There is competition in music and it's like when your friends are doing awesome, you don't dislike them for it, but you got to fucking up your game. You know, it's right. like everybody's pushing each other and being creative and their shows happening. And it's, you know, a good thing for everyone. It's good thing to have healthy competition, though. Like that's that's a good it pushes other people to kind of test what their limits are as well. Like, I think that's I see someone playing guitar really well and I'm like, damn, I want to play like that. You know, right. Like, I, I mean, you, don't, you don't look at them go, fuck that guy. No, Come no. On. Especially if it's from like you're a, a hater. Yeah, especially if it's somebody I'm friendly with. I, I, you, you can't deny though. Like when you see someone doing something really well, you just go, "Your talent offends me." Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Uh, I, I was like that when I was a kid, when I didn't have anything going on, and my friends were doing shit that I wanted to do. But you know, that's how you are when you're young. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the thing is, you grow up in a, a small town like Vermont, and people are telling you like, "Oh, you're really great at this." And then you start going out and doing it nationally, and you're like, oh, oh, there are other people that are very talented at this as well. But right. we're our own thing. You know, I, I, I think that we kind of got lumped into a lot of the stuff that was going on in Boston. But at the same time, we had a lot of influence from, uh, you know, the Canadian stuff. I mean, Jesus Christ, that band Shotmaker, I cannot say enough about them. Um, seeing them at 242 early on, it just fucking blew my mind. And they're they're a very big part of uh, Drowning Man sound, like that kind of like churning, urgent kind of uh, rhythmic stuff. I don't know if you know that band, but no. But whenever I edit the episode, I listen to all the bands everybody mentions on YouTube, and it's one of my favorite things about doing this. Yeah, you really should, that, that they, they 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 got really big for a couple of years, and then uh, I don't know what happened. They kind of disappeared. So you're back in Vermont. We're putting together Drowning Man. Now, What did you have a vision? Did you have... How much planning went into this? Because <laughs> Drowning Man is a is a unique band, like you mentioned. It's a unique sound. It didn't quite sound like all the other metalcore stuff that was going on, and you guys had a very specific sense of humor with the lyrics and the song titles and the attitude and everything else. Did, that, did, you, did you plan on that, or did it develop over time? I think it's... For me, I mean, it's everyone else in the band... Also, but it's part of my personality. We, we've kind of, we had a, something that we've been repeating to each other. Somebody, you know, you got to give the people what they want. And no, <laughs> we give the people what they need. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's like we were one of those bands that never fucking gave the people exactly what they wanted. At the, we'll give it to you at the different time and you don't expect it. But we didn't stick to the formula, I guess. I don't know. So tell us about the early days of the band. Early days of the band. Um, yeah, we played a lot of those shows. We got onto a lot of great shows. Um, Hydrahead uh, put out our first 7-inch, and we were lucky to be just included with uh, all the, the bands on that label. Um, and then uh, we kind of... 
Man, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard being on a record label with uh, Botch yeah. and Caden. And, I mean. Isis. Isis was just, I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they were, I mean, kind of like a step ahead of the rest of us even at the. So Drowning Man gets the attention of Hydrahead. They put out your first seven inch and the now classic busy signal at the suicide hotline, right? Right. <laughs> We had a different guitarist in the band at the time, and he ended up being replaced by Daryl, who went on to be in Cancer Conspiracy. And this other guy was a great guitarist. I think Aaron wasn't really sure what we were going to hand into him. And I think we weren't sure either until we uh, we had tracked up here and we brought it down to Steve Evans at Tracks East. And this thing that we'd had that we, man, we worked really hard on it, but it didn't sound quite right. And then Steve just, wow, that's us? He's like, yeah. Oh, hey, check out uh, this band that I just recorded last weekend. And he plays us Dillinger Escape Plans under the running board. As happy as we were with uh, Busy Signal, he just kind of wanted to like, give up right then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. That they after you know When I saw Dillinger for the first time, right when that EP came out, they became my favorite band for like the next eight years or something. That's interesting. I think at the, in the early days, there was a lot of times where they would play and people wouldn't know what the fuck to make of it. Yeah. I, I saw Dillinger in 1996 or 97 in an auto body shop just outside of Philadelphia. And uh, I remember being terrified. I think I was 14 or 15 at the time. And at one point in time, there's a video of it on YouTube. Uh, ben comes right up in my face and screams right in my face oh. like he doesn't even he's not even holding Man, the guitar that, that, at this point. That, like, that's fucking that's fucking customer service that's customer service <laughs> he, he's bringing you into the show now that that stuff is great if if i if i had my way we would play only in uh like convenience stores or like those man the fucked up places that we've had to play before uh, those can be so much fun. So you you bring the stuff to Steve Evitz. He records it at Tracks East, and you have Busy Signal at the Suicide Hotline, right? Yeah, we do. And then we record with him one more time after that to do because uh, as soon as he played us that, we're we're making friends with these guys, and we're back down there to do the Dillinger split. And then uh, soon thereafter, had a big change up in the band. Some people moved out to the West Coast, uh, our drummer and bass player and guitar player. So we just, Javen and I kind of rebuilt the whole band and it, it seemed over. And then out of that, we started playing with Matt Roy, who, I mean, has become, that that's that's become Drowning Man to people. Matt Roy and Javen Leonard playing guitar is Drowning Man. Matt Roy and Jay, what do they play respectively? Matt Roy and Javen play. Uh, they play. I, they play guitar, and I, I'm putting an asterisks next to that because these motherfuckers. I we were we've been recording those demos. I swear to God, they're playing two different guitar parts, but they're not. I don't. I don't know how they do this shit. They do. I'm curious about the recording of Busy Signal. Mm. Your voice sounds massive on that. Just this shrieking like huge thing did you double track it is is that just what you sound like that it's that massive uh, i have i've always i've always double tracked i've always double tracked um 
And actually, uh, yeah, I've always double tracked, and and now I playing live. I use a, a thing. It's just a, a straight doubler, and it just it sounds much more uh, kind of uh, true to the recording, or you know, eh, a better approximation of it. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and also part of the uh, that is that the the vocals were buried down a little bit lower than they normally would be, which that makes them occupy more space that with the uh, multiple tracks it, it's it's uh yeah i like doing weird shit like that yeah i love it i love the the way it sounds i love the whole record that's when i discovered you guys was that record wow wow early adopter i'm like an og almost you, you certainly <laughs> are. i mean a lot of people that really got in on that record still think it's our best record and anybody that might think that way would be pleased to know that uh this new drummer we have is he understands the way todd played on those early records it's more of a there's kind of an updated busy signal thing going on too yeah you know i'm gonna jump ahead a bit you haven't you have that new song is out now right it is it is it'll be up on streaming probably by the time this episode airs i'm sure The new song, Navigating Grief and Loss in a Pre-Apocalyptic Landscape. Tommy and I were blown away by this song. It it really does have that classic Drowning Man feel. The energy and the the viciousness and the the heaviness and the beauty, it it has it all. We really dug the track. I'm I'm, I'm really glad. And and I also, we kind of, it is a demo, so we left space. I mean, that's part of uh, the stuff that we're going to record with Steve Evitz. so I'm glad that people are liking it already, even though it, it, it doesn't feel all the way done. Well, if that's not all the way done, then uh, you're on to something here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. And the thing is, once you release it, like I'm, I'm hesitant to like change it too much now. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I dig it though. So we're jumping back in time. Drowning Man is playing. You've got this new lineup, right? Is that new lineup what ended up writing How to Light Cigarettes? Yes. Yes. Okay. So how how is the band at the time? You know, I only caught you guys live once, and oh. it was around that time. I remember it was a show at the Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, Jesus, the Thursday show. Yes. And oh. one thing I liked about Drowning Man is you guys didn't look like other bands. Either. I remember the guitar player had some, like, cool collared long sleeve shirt on, and, you know, you had, like, the slicked back hair thing going on. You didn't look like other bands, and you didn't sound like other bands. It, yeah, I, 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 much to other people's disappointment, but you know, <laughs> I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I don't know. Yeah, and, and and I think some of the stuff we were doing kind of came back around and got done in a different, cleaner, polished way. And oh, and then it's <laughs> that was a different time then. Um, but at the time, yeah, we didn't really fit in anywhere necessarily. Um, we weren't trying to. Talk about that a little bit. Did you find acceptance with other bands and crowds? Were you guys happy with what you were doing? Or were you just like, ah, fuck it. We're going to do whatever we want, wherever we go. Okay. The first thing um, is that I, I, I could write these songs. And that's how I prefer to do it is to write these songs and not give a fuck what anybody else thinks. I'm doing it for me. It's like, you know, I, yeah, we talked a year ago, and as you may or may not remember, I was going through a pretty hard time, went through a rough divorce, and uh, yeah, so it's like, you know, I just want to 
get that shit out there. And there was always something like that. But back then, the problems I had in my 20s do not compare. Yeah, so it was kind of like uh, uh, we wanted to be genuine. We wanted to be, you know, we're doing what we're doing. Fuck it if other people don't like it, which is not the greatest attitude to have sometimes our customer service skills were not great in that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that people that liked us liked us for that. I don't know. No, you're right. And that's the thing. If you wanted, if you can't play the game, so to speak, the sad part is you're just going to end up isolating yourself a little bit. But it, isolating ourselves a little bit from the whole like industry part of it. But the thing is, is as for connecting with people, like to me, like playing in a band, playing hardcore, this is fucking adult play. You know, this <laughs> is what I need to do when I'm when we're hanging out, when we were renting an Airbnb for the weekend and uh, bunting uh, apples with a, you know, with a, a aluminum bat and stuff like that. It, it's we're having fun. <laughs> we're having fun. We're not hurting anybody. Yeah, it, it's it's all adult play and, you know, like playing the songs, writing the song. And then all of a sudden where you kind of enter this whole thing of like, oh, now why aren't people reacting to this? Why aren't labels doing that? You know, that's where it, all of a sudden you kind of you've left your ego out of all the rest of it just for the sake of creating. And then you have this finished product and you're like, why don't people like this more or Everybody's going to, no one's going to care. That's the thing. If you're going to have an attitude like you don't care and then you do care, it sucks. Did you have those moments? Sure. Yeah. Like with a release or something like that or a time where you're like, oh, Uh, why, why isn't this bigger? Why, uh, why don't people like this more? Why don't people like me? Did you ever get into that territory? When the first tour we ever did. It was the same at the same time that uh, how they let cigarettes came out. We toured with Dillinger Escape Plan, and we fucking held our own with Dillinger Escape Plan on a national. Tour. I mean, yeah. Uh, so we were, you know, feeling pretty good, uh, and then we recorded Rock and Roll Killing Machine, which was just a logistical nightmare and a lot of uh, uh, equipment malfunctions and just a real long time to happen. Then when it got released, the A&R guy at Rev that we knew had let us know that he was quitting. Um, and then also a friend of ours that somehow knew what was going on with, like said that Rev had lost their distribution. Uh, there was a brief gap there. I don't know what the fuck happened, but it was like, oh. And then we're... <laughs> so... This is our, our next tour after uh, the Dillinger tour, where like we kind of held our own and separated ourselves from the by the fact that we had you know these melodic parts, um, which sometimes was good, and sometimes you're playing in the wrong place. You're playing with a lot of metal bands, and you have, geez, I think it was Metairie, Louisiana, people yelling at between songs, "Shut the fuck up, Smashing Pumpkins." So, <laughs> uh, oh man, you, you go from that, and then the next tour you do. And you're playing with uh with Glassjaw, and you're like, oh, oh, I got lapped, <laughs> I got lapped in the. Uh, but the thing is, I also think that that's that kind of marks this transition from uh, where we were doing stuff, kind of like the melodic stuff is more of an kind of emo, Sunday real estate promise ring, you know, kind of in that vein of like you don't have to sing perfectly; it has to have like 
feeling and emotion. It's okay if you have a little, you know, voice crack here and there and blah, blah, blah. And then if people like, fucking Daryl, man, he bummed me out. Man, he was, he, was, <laughs> he was too good. He was too good. Yeah. So tell the crazy fest story. What? No. <laughs> what happened? What, what happened? Okay, th- this, is, this is what happens when you start, you know, the, the, the pure idea, uh, ideas of why you're playing music and then you get into industry bullshit. Um, we were playing with uh, Nora and Dillinger on the way out to Crazy Fest. They were playing in Chicago. We were supposed to, we were supposed to play a day earlier than them. Uh, we were playing in Chicago. Uh, Flower Booking wanted to come see, and this is when they were, you know, starting to before they signed ISIS. They're starting to break into more uh, hardcore stuff, and they wanted to talk with us. So we were like, <laughs> called uh, Ryan at Crazy Fest, and uh, <clears throat> oh, uh, fifteen years sober. I'm making this amends now, uh, Ryan. Man, I'm fucking sorry. I was a fucking asshole. Um, so we, we had to, we wanted to play the show and and he did not like that. And it's like, well, okay, I'll put you guys on early. So everything works out with flower. We have a little celebration. Uh, we wake up 10 minutes before our set is supposed to happen. And uh, we could, we could see crazy fest from our motel room. <laughs> and so we wandered over there. And Ryan was pissed at us. And he's like, nope, that's it. You guys, you know, you you forced our hand to, you know, let you play this day. And then you don't even fucking show up on time. No, I, having done shows, I, I would fucking hate that band. So we're like, oh, okay. Some very well-known straight edge people had recently become not straight edge. And they thought it was a good time to... Uh, Drink some bourbon with me at uh, one o'clock in the hot Louisville sun. So we're we're, we're doing that. It's about forty minutes later. Um, the show's going on anyway. A couple bands have played, and Ryan comes back over and he's like, "People are fucking pissed. You know, they want you to play." Like, like he got he got made to have us play, and I'm like, "Ah." Uh, Shit! <laughs> Shit! I have just drank like two. I I I I I I'd, I'd had a bit much to drink. Um, I went on stage with my uh, pint glass full of uh, Jim Beam. Oh Lord! <laughs> um, and I, I I you know it, it's hard to find a place to put your drink uh, at a fest where you know that you it doesn't get knocked over. It got knocked over and. Uh, yeah, I, I there found myself uh, drinking bourbon off the stage at Crazy Fest. Um, and <laughs> so, who, which which of you are, are, are uh, sober? That's me, Keith. So, can you imagine at your like uh, third year, you know, where they're uh, asking you to tell your story and you tell that story and you know what, Simon? When you said that the glass got knocked over and you drank. The bourbon off the stage. The the very first thing I thought was I would have done the same exact thing. Well, and the thing is, is that at, okay, so we're kind of like outsiders and then we really adopted that and we pushed it too far. And I think it was also, you know, to be antagonistic towards, it it, it did not serve us well. I will tell you that. (laughs) I will tell you that. Um, Right. 
and, and that was definitely at the point of blowing the band up. Um, I was going through uh, relationship problems then, and I was, you know, just kind of, yeah, seeing what happened. Talk about some of your struggles and how you overcame them. I remember I was heavily into drugs and alcohol, and I, I was a mess for a really long time. I remember Drowning Man was on a tour or something, and you posted, or the band posted somewhere, and you're like, hey, we'll, we'll trade. Whatever you're saying is lying. All right. Okay. This isn't true, but right, tell your lie. Yeah, sure. Tell your lie. Yeah. The lie is that I think you posted and said, "Hey, we'll trade you Drowning Man merch for painkillers on okay. tour." Y- y- you want to know what that is? Yes. Don't let don't let Drowning Man play shows with I Hate God. You know, like, when you see like at the merch table and they have like will trade merch for like they kept it a little bit more under the radar, and it's like, huh? How do we take this? I remember when we started writing it into our rider. No. Yeah, because just to be assholes. Would you ever get them? Uh, I think a couple times people were like, "I don't know." I was like, "It's a joke." But they had a big <laughs> meeting at uh, uh, what the fuck is it in Oakland, Berkeley? With, yeah, come on, you got to help me here. The venue, Gilman, Gilman. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. There's a collective, so the you know the collective. Like, sh- should we do this? Mm, yeah. No, and again, that was like, we were just doing stuff to be contrary, and it's all a joke, but the thing is, it fucking wasn't a joke. Let me tell you what happened because of this, is I did that to be cute in El Paso, Texas. Someone shows up, uh, he has terminal leukemia, and uh, a full bottle of Oxycons, which I'd never done before, Um, and he gives them to me. An 80 milligram Oxycontin, it is very strong. El Paso, we're driving through the desert for the next few days. I mean, I, I was I was uh, addicted to them by the time I came home because it's like, you know, long drives. Like, oh, what's there to do? Oh, let's have another one of these. It, it, so, you know, careful what you wish for. It's a joke. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, it didn't do uh, a, a great job for me. Yeah, because I remember seeing that, and I'm like, oh, these guys are down. That's cool, because I was, like, getting high at the time. So so you get off this tour, and you're, you find yourself addicted to painkillers after the tour. How bad did things get, and how did you overcome it? How did you get clean? Uh, how did I get clean? Well, so from there, I mean, my behavior, once I started doing that, like, fucking precipitated downward sharply. I think by the end of the next tour, you know, because I... I was keeping it in check like I was, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was addicted, but it was the first time where I was like, you know, oh, it's not, oh, I feel not great because I did not take pills today. Yeah, there's this period where you're not fully physically addicted yet, but, and like this happened to me, I didn't even know what was going on really, but I'd, I'd notice when I didn't get high, I'd go on a business trip and I'd be sneezing and I'd have congestion and I'd feel cold. And I was like, oh, I have a cold. But it's like, no, this is stupid. This is the beginning of like You got withdrawal. drug withdrawals. So yeah. Right, right. And I didn't even realize it. So um, I kind of rode that train for uh, – I moved out to San Francisco after Drowning Man broke up. Uh, was playing in a band called The Scheme with – Actually, Todd, the first drummer of Drowning Man. Um, yes. And Pete from Lifetime. Um, Ian from, he's in Kowloon, Walled City now. 
formerly of Skank and Pickle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, during that time, kind of things kept going from bad to worse. You know, I would get sober on my own, like, you know, just the uh, willpower. A couple of years later, we did that uh, Don't Push Us When We Were Hot. And if you think I wasn't on drugs when I made that record, you are sadly fucking mistaken. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I had to be on drugs. Yeah. To allow that to be released. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, fast forward a year, I'm teaching English in Korea because uh, I've run out of options. Pills are very easily to, to easy to find in Korea. Uh, I came home and went to rehab, and I've been sober ever since 15 years. Well, I think, one, I wanted you to tell that story because... It's important. I struggled for so long for, I don't know, 15 years with alcohol and drugs, and I didn't know how to stop. I would read books about guys I liked who were dead who did the same drugs I did, and but I was so resistant to try recovery or detox or any of that stuff. But once I finally did, that's the beginning of when it all started to turn around. So, Oh, it's that fucking surrender to it. I mean, I, I, I was in Kansas at the time, and I was like, oh, are they going to make me do Jesus? Holy shit. Uh, looks like here we go. And then there's, you know, early A, there's a lot of, uh, they call it like stick into the middle of the boat. Um, you know, don't, 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 don't try to hard, too hard. Don't try to be exceptional. You know, like there's all this stuff in AA about the, uh, basically it's ego. It, it's, uh, I mean, kind of the stuff that really had driven Drowning Man. So it took me a while to figure out, like, how can I, I don't have this creative outlet anymore. Um, by that, I'm married, have kids. Yeah, it was always something that, you know, during that time, like not having a creative outlet was hard for me, too. But it, I definitely took in the whole AA thing of, you know, just uh, living a, a normal, simple life, just not trying to be anything more than, you know a good husband, good father. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, cause like drugs kind of fueled creativity for a little, but then they took it all away from me. And I, I just lived in a fantasy world of being strung out and s watching TV. You know, the stuff that you wrote when you were on drugs was probably garbage. Just letting you know. Um, I mean, yeah, pretty much. It, it, I mean, that that's how it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I haven't really done anything significant while on drugs. My real creativity didn't start until after I got clean. Right, right, right. Like right, I, it, right. It, it all came back. As soon as I got clean, I started writing music again. I started getting into a little film stuff and acting and this podcast. All that stuff came after I got clean. I wasn't doing shit while I was still getting high. Right. I mean, you were probably talking about it. You probably had plans to do it. Yeah, well, I had plenty of plans. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. But it's all of a sudden like having the ability to actually be at the place on time to do the thing. Hey, right. look at this. Right. Um, but then again, I'm uh, in Kansas because uh, I had just I had graduated law school. And during that last year of law school, I had met a girl and I ended up, oh, I guess I'm staying in Kansas. So... I mean, that's been a, a, a difficult thing for the last 10, 15 years, uh, being homesick and uh, 
and then being back here and being homesick for Kansas is a super mind fuck. <laughs> so, yeah. Are your kids in Kansas still? Yeah, they are. Yeah, so that's got to be tough. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, I, I, fucking great kids. Yeah, it, it was. It was definitely uh, not the most harmonious divorce. Um, I think I told you guys before. Somewhere in the legal proceedings was a, a, a lawyer who was also one of the directors of the Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, my, my wife's lawyer, and 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 the thing is, is so, yeah, I mean there there was a lot going on there. Things are kind of settling down with her. Uh, I see my kids as much as I can. Um, I am moving back to Kansas City by hopefully by the summer. Once we have this record written, I I, I mean, as much as I thought I needed to get away from my wife. I I I I miss the fuck out of my kids. Real quick, Simon, uh, if you don't mind my asking, uh, where did you go to law school, and where, what was your focus of practice? Uh, I went to uh, Washburn Law School in Topeka, Kansas, uh, the alma mater of Fred Phelps of the West. I was Girl just going to say, I yep. you could yeah. suck my dick, um, <laughs> and, and don't edit that out. Um, <laughs> man, I, cause I used to, they would fucking protest on the sidewalk in front of, uh, the exit for the law school. And they'd always do it. Like when I had a night class and I was trying to leave, like, get the fuck out of my way, you people. And so, somebody needs to teach them fucking graphic design. Jesus Christ. With their side. Yeah. They're, they're, they're big comic sans people. <laughs> they just like the goofiest shit like really like i mean when you have kids holding them you can get away with it i guess i don't know you know simon i always tried to keep tabs on you online you had a blog going for a while i was always curious about what happened to you and i was pretty impressed that the front man of drowning man became an attorney you must have been ultra focused in law school tommy here tried to become an attorney but it didn't work out for him failed miserably Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Uh, how far did you make it? Uh, I made it midway through my second year. Really? Yeah. Fuck! If you're going to start the second, I mean, you're, you're in, right? Well, my first, my I went to school part time, so it would have uh, taken me. I, my my degree would have taken four years. Where did you go? I started at Widener University in Delaware, uh-huh. and I was going to transfer to Temple, and that's actually when I made the choice to not transfer and oh, become yeah, a teacher yeah, you know what while you were in law school tell me ask answer me this question were you not aware that you were uh, among some of the uh the shittiest people on earth probably <laughs> so actually isn't that why you stopped tommy i think that was one of the biggest things is when we went to go take uh it was my um civil procedure exam when I, I went to go, like, it was, there was, it was a, it was a writing, it was a writing assignment, and you actually had to go to the library to pick up the packet that was there for it. So there was a series of readings. There was, uh, you know, uh, 2009, 2010. Okay. Okay. Same, 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 same. Yeah. And I went to go pick up the packet and, you know, in my cohort, I think there was, uh, 197 people or something. It was just under 200 people. Mm. And I, and I went to go pick up the packet and I went to the librarian cause she was like, oh yeah, I can get it for you. Hold on. 
and they were supposed to be on top of a like a, this countertop it, behind the desk. Somebody behind, like, with, cut your throat, didn't they? Somebody took the whole stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get yeah. it, she's like, I can print more, and I'm like, I, I know that, oh, dude, but like to get it, is so fucking cutthroat. It, it, it's to get it's, a two hour jump on us. Like that's really what they did. Like they took the whole fucking stack, and I was like what a weird thing to do. And there was another girl that was in my study group. We went Whoever with that probably we, got a better grade. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, I started seeing that was kind of like when I, I, my older sister is an attorney and she graduated from, Te- uh, she graduated from temple and then she got her LLM from Penn. And she had a real serious talk with me in the summertime when I was on break. And I remember her being like, what do you think you're going to do with this? And I was like, I'd be a lawyer, you know? And she's like, no, 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 no. You're graduating from a tier three school. You're going to graduate with an enormous amount of debt. She's like, granted, you work at a law firm and they pay for a portion of it. You're making okay money. But do you know what the average salary of a district, like, you know, ADA is? And I was like, no. And she's like, it's about $51,000. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Lawyers make good money. And she's like, no. People that graduate from top 20 schools make good money. You go to UVA, you go to Yale, you go to Stanford, you go to, you go to these, those types of schools. Those are the people that are making 170, 190 walking out of school. That's, that's bullshit. It's, it's true. It's true. That's the way it's structured. The only way to do it is, uh, I mean, I was forced into the situation where I'm, I'm a solo practitioner. I do a lot of my stuff online. I ended up going to school concentrating on uh, business and transactional law. I I mean, I tried courtroom stuff. I remember there was this workshop we had about uh, cross-examination where they had me stand up at the front of the class. They were trying to break me of the habit of saying, um, by wadding up, he instructed all the students to wad up paper and throw it at me every time I said, um, so, I'm doing that with Tommy too. So I stood up. Well, well fuck you for doing that because that's really cruel. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and especially because I, I just stood up there for said um for about a solid minute and got pelted with so many papers. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'm not doing that. So uh, what could I do? I had a new family and you know started my law practice online and started doing a lot of stuff that way and have kind of uh, figured out what I'm doing and you know have my own. Areas of specialty, a lot of intellectual property stuff, um, a lot of business stuff, which, by the way, I mean, a lot of this stuff, man, if I had fucking known any of this stuff when I was in a band, um, the amount of money being in Drowning Man costed me uh, not having stuff done the right way. That's a whole other story. Um but you, you see, like, all this stuff, you're like, I shouldn't have signed that. I shouldn't have done this. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the scheme. Mm. I love that band God. to this day. You, I, you know, I still listen to Love Advice mm-hmm. at three ninety nine per minute till this day. Mm. It's a good song. It's a good song. It's a good song. It was recorded in a fucking practice space in Oakland on a fucking eight track. Wow. Yeah. Now... Tell the story about what happened with that band. Did I tell you this already? That's why you're asking me this shit, right? That that is, yeah, that is true. That's a very distinct possibility. (laughs) That's a very distinct possibility. Um, Listen, it's a good story, and it's a good, like, life lesson type of thing for people out there who may be struggling. So which which scheme story are we we, we fishing here for? Because there's a couple. The record contract. 
Oh, God. <laughs> um, so we had recorded these demos. We put them up. Um, we were having a lot of uh, discussion with record label. I think Carl from Ferret at the time offered us a good amount of money. Uh, there was a lot of disagreement in the band that didn't want to be associated with hardcore stuff. Around the same time, Revelation decided they wanted to uh, exercise their leaving members clause. So that was kind of a clusterfuck. Um, Yeah, so there were um, labels that wanted to put it out. We, uh, uh, friends of ours from New York by way of Burlington, uh, a band called Pilot to Gunner, they were on a label called Arena Rock that was an imprint of Ryko Disc, I believe. So we played their showcase at South by Southwest. They wanted to put out the record. This band, we we talked a lot about wanting to sound like Oasis, and we didn't really sound like Oasis, but we did a lot of other shit like Oasis. And so we had a 7 o'clock show in Austin, and we began the day by doing a noon barbecue with free beer. So come 7 o'clock, the fellows are not feeling so great. So we played a kind of lackluster set. Uh, Ian, who was the only straight edge person in the band, was not fucking psyched, as he had every right to be. <laughs> so some of the other guys in the band, like, I went up to the, the label guy afterwards and was like, what did you think? He was like, well, I think the record's still getting And I'm like... So I picked up an empty pint glass off the bar and smashed it on his feet um, <laughs> because I had another uh, bandmate instigating me next uh, next to me. Um, the show continues. I think uh, another guy in the band snuck underneath the stage and fell asleep. Um, <laughs> by the end of the show, we're being told to load out uh, someone in the band would not leave was kind of wandering around so the bouncer like brought him over a glass of water he said i want a glass of water took a sip of the glass of water and spit it in the guy's face and we were playing on the third floor of this place called buffalo billiards and my man's head (laughs) off every stair all the way down he got escorted (laughs) out of uh Buffalo Billiards, uh, where we come outside and see that uh, one of our guitar players had gotten a football helmet from one of the other bands and was trying to tackle rickshaw, kind of those rickshaw cab things, (laughs) tackle the drivers (laughs) off it. It it was not great. Um, So I think that was sort of the end of that band. What a way to go out, though. I, I mean, sure, it's a good story. I mean, but it, it, it's fucking stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though, with alcoholism and addiction. It's like, you you can't control yourself. I couldn't. I can't tell you about how many opportunities I squandered with potential relationships or bands or any of that other stuff. Now, now the thing is, it, when, when I was in rehab in Dodge City, Kansas... You have your first cigarette of the morning and hear the uh, hogs getting killed in the pens across the road. Good stuff. The, day, the, the, the leader, of the, the, the lady, the director of the rehab told us, some of you people are, you know, just addicts. Some of you people are just fucking criminals, <laughs> whatever it is. And, and I feel like, I mean, even though I don't have the, uh, you know, the addiction's not there, but I, I still think that some of these ideas that are funny that probably 
aren't or you know kind of punk rock asinine behavior that it is funny to a degree still um and that's something i'm working on not real hard but i'm working on it (laughs) (laughs) well at least you're working on it i i i i i I want people to be entertained at my expense sure i mean i got a few good years left i'll i'll I'll, uh, I'll sacrifice my body for the greater good (laughs) we love to hear that talk about Best record ever. Oh, my fucking God. What are we, dude, I can't believe I told you some of this shit. Okay. Anyway, best record ever. Um, again, this is like... Let me let me proceed this just by saying this is the best story ever. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we had some issues with Rev after that kind of bungled release. Rock and roll killing machine, right? Yeah. And, uh, oh, and Papa Roach asked us to go on tour, but uh, our label would have to rent a bus for us and they wouldn't pony up for it. And, what? you know, that's my, that was our fucking big shot, you know? Oh. I don't know, fucking, I would like to hear about Cut My Life Into Pieces every night for fucking 40 days straight. Why not? I know. So, whatever. I mean, there were other things, but uh, we just wanted to be off Revelation. Um, we had one record left in our contract foreshadowing things to come. I read through the contract and found out that there's this thing of uh, the right of refusal. They could, uh, we could send them a record. They could send it back to us and say, make improvements. And then we would send it back to them. And that's that. So it's like, Oh, okay. So, all right, well, we're ready to record next weekend. And what happened during that week Actually, there wasn't a lot of preparation. I and mean, we just kind of went in there and uh, this saw the fucking wildest shit you've ever heard. Uh, we went with uh, Kurt Ballou into God City, who was he was uh, a very willing participant. Um, I believe on a few tracks he played uh, some saxophone. Uh, I believe <laughs> he, he, he soloed over some uh, tasteful 12 bar blues. Uh, <laughs> we had a song called. Uh, Actually, Kurt, I think, conceptualized this. Uh, it was called Guitar Center Duel, and it was somebody playing uh, Sweet Emotion in one speaker badly and somebody playing Stairway to Heaven badly in the other speaker. <laughs> uh, this is genius. I, I think so. I think so. This is pure drowning, man. But, but you know what? Serious, like, hardcore kids that want the mosh, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, uh, I I don't know. I, I mean, to me, it, it, the hardcore punk. You know, it, it it's all in there somewhere. Um, yeah. So, did you finish the record, so to speak? No, <laughs> no, no. We did not. We recorded it uh, and then played it for Revelation, and they were uh, not excited. <laughs> so you actually got to play some of this for them? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't. I, did I send it? Yeah, I have all the tracks. It's it's uh, without vocals, and uh, I mean that's something I might do when I have time. But it's you got to release that. But set the stage for us a little bit. Are, are you like in a boardroom playing the songs for these guys? I want to know. Oh no, we're, we're we're on tour in a van, and we're playing it to the A and R person and. What's his reaction? Not great. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> not great. And, and the thing is, is they knew what was coming. And I'm just being an asshole because I, you know, I have uh, conceived this thing uh, just uh, trying to hurt feelings, uh, it, which is not a great way to go. Yeah, yeah, they they did they did not care for it. Um, I mean, I I think they should have realized what comedic and uh, conceptual genius they had on their hands and put it out personally. Um, actually, you, you want to know what's weird is I I had a, a conversation with Jordan. Uh, just last week. And uh, I've kind of made amends to him before in the past. And kind of now that I'm doing this again, and geez, it's only been in the last week or so that I've really had to deal with any of the, you know, logistics of this, of um, what record label we're going to put this out on. And we have a pretty good team of people together. Like we have Shows for next year, which I have learned today. I'm not allowed to announce. Um, so we have, uh, hopefully we're going to limit ourselves to like festival appearances and, you know, um, short uh, tours here and there. It's still to be determined who will put the record out. So we've we already released that one song we're going to record Finished recording, uh, I, I just have vocals to finish up on the other one, and uh, we're going to be sending that out as an industry demo, because I love that shit. I love industry shit. I do. <laughs> I do. I love it. And now, as an attorney, you can better navigate it and slice and dice through those contracts. Um, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and somebody said, said, said that to me before, and then, oh, uh, uh uh, I think Dan Sanshaw from EVR was asking him about something. Um, and he said to me, uh, oh, you know, the music business has changed quite a bit. And I thought to myself, and I, I've had it mentioned to me by other people. And the beauty of that is uh, we didn't understand the music business before. So whatever, <laughs> fuck it. Um, I think I need to get tattoos on my face. Uh, that's as much I've, I've got a list written down of things that I'm supposed to do. Apparently, Johnny right. Man could have been a SoundCloud rapper, right? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You could do like a trap emo record. Uh, I I would be into it. I listen to some of that stuff. You, you know what? You, 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 this is fucking weird. Is you know who's really picked up on that stuff? Is my Ooh. my kids? Oh yeah, my yeah. kids have come to emo and on their own, and they're playing me stuff that they're listening to. That is not something I would expect like eight and 11 year olds to be listening to. Um, and then in turn, it kind of gives me, you know, oh, well, you should check this out if you like that. Uh, like my youngest is really into My Chemical Romance. And geez, two or three years ago, when they mentioned the word emo, I mean, everything fucking stopped. And I, I pulled out, you know, I pulled out the speed, like, you are not going to listen to all the stuff they listen to now. Um, you're going to listen <laughs> to this. This is real emo. And they didn't understand that now. But, you know, we're able to share Spotify playlists. She was really into My Chemical Romance. And I sent her, like, a knapsack and jealous sound or something that she's really uh, liking now. So, Yeah. Jealous sound are so good. Anxious arms. I cry at that song. Oh, God Come on. Yeah. 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 She's uh 
my youngest has started taking piano lessons and she is the, the she inherited the gene um, when she was an infant, when she would start to inhale, I would have to go find a, a safe place to, you know, let her uh, let that out because it was like detonating a fucking bomb. Um, she's like the loudest human being I've ever met when she wants to be. And she's started taking piano lessons is musically talented and has good taste in music. I mean, hey, my chemical romance at eight is, you know, she's she's That's pretty refined. Yeah, yeah. And say what you will about my chemical romance, but look at look at what they did. I mean, I think they look good, they sound good, they made it to the top. Well, and considering a year ago it was K-pop, yeah, we're doing all right. Exactly. And yeah. that's a beautiful thing that you get to share music with them and music that you actually enjoy. That's that's got to be the best. Oh, the other I don't know if you know the the visualizer of that new song on YouTube. There's a visualizer for the song and all the shots are of my kids <laughs> dressed up in a, a different gear that that we've gotten for us to take pictures with. And, you know, just a, a wolf man. Uh, oh, you know what? I saw. I saw some of those pictures on your Instagram. Yeah. And I I was like, these kids are so cool. Look at these outfits. Yeah. They're uh no, that's not my my kids are fucking amazing. They really are. Yeah, um, you guys look happy. I like seeing that stuff. Yeah. Um it's been hard, you know, like coming home and then, you know, it's like uh then counting down the days till I see them again and you know I'm moving back there, uh my ex and I are getting along a little bit better. Um, That's good. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just not, I'm not as angry about that or uh, I go there when uh, I have a, a microphone in front of me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that that's good. And I, uh, man, I, uh, yeah, I grew up without a dad and uh in the process of all this, uh, it, it tends to be that dads that grew up without dads have had this kind of uh, thing impressed on them that, that dads are optional. Do you feel that way, Tommy? I think to a certain extent, because I had such a decent How's your relationship with your in-laws. Uh, good. My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law and I get along really well. Unfortunately, my, my father-in-law passed away a few months ago, but it was pretty, pretty decent. Like we, you know, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, we've never had like a real screaming argument. Uh, here's the thing. Is it also, you know, cause I did a lot of reading during this stuff that, that, uh, the thing that tends to counterbalance that of like you feeling like maybe it might, it might be subconscious. It was maybe with me, um, of, you know, dads don't, this is not what we're supposed to do. It isn't what happened to me. Um, that a good relationship with your in-laws kind of tends to counterbalance that um, this, this feeling of uh, family is bullshit. So that's what I got to say on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think with me growing up, like I, I had a, a ton of siblings, you know, I had uh, two sisters and three stepsisters growing up. So I had a lot of people that took care of me. So I, 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 there was a time where I thought that like it was not necessary to have a dad, but uh, now I have three daughters mm. and I consistently mm. 
I, I make a point of like, my mom was never very affectionate with any of us. Uh, I make a point of when we're getting ready for school in the morning, I hug them and tell them I love them. Like so important. I, I yeah. kiss them on the forehead before they leave every morning. Like we, before they go to bed every night, I tuck them in and read a story and you know, I I'm consistently present. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, when my daughter wrote a story at school the other week, she wrote a story and it was like, write about your favorite person or write about somebody that you really look up to. She wrote it about me. And like, I was in tears. Like I was like no. reading it. I was like, I was like devastated. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and she's like, why are you so upset? And I'm like, I hate to make this about me, but like, when I was eight, I didn't have someone like me around. And it, it, it really warms my heart that you do like that. That makes me feel great. And it makes me also feel really happy that I'm, I'm still around and I'm still here to be able to take care of you. And, and, and you know what, that's the other difference between when I talked to you a year ago and talked to you now. And I had this like, kind of like, you know, feeling of, you know, the bottoms coming out and I'm not going to be, with my kids anymore and you know in the past year going through a divorce and having to move and having to sell our old house yeah it's things are different now i'm not gonna stop fucking showing up for my kids yeah um i talk to them every night yeah i mean i and i know that you know there's gonna be um Things are going to get better. Things have been getting better. Um, I think that they're they're incredibly supportive of the fact that I'm doing something. My 11-year-old is the most fucking amazing artist for her age. It's just incredible. They're really creative kids. And I like to think that, you know, for the, you know... 10 years I was there, like all the art classes we went to and the skateboarding classes and the this and the that, and, you know, the places they've traveled, man. <laughs> um, I remember bringing my oldest that went to New York city for the first time when she was like seven years old. And I pictures, she was just like walking around. Like she owned the fucking city. Like she knew, <laughs> she knew right away. It's like the seven year old, like walking, like nobody's fucking with me. Yeah. She definitely got that from you. Mm. <laughs> uh, there are a few things, yes. Well, folks, we're down to the last couple minutes, so let's recap. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to immediately go to our nearest device and listen to the new single, Navigating Grief and Loss in a Pre-Apocalyptic Landscape. Right? I would hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, so... Apparently, uh, it doesn't matter uh, that we've written good music. Uh, apparently, you need to, uh, to stream it. Um, we need to get the streams up so we can get a t-shirt deal because my kids got to eat. Now, and we want to go back and listen to the classic Drowning Man discography, which is on streaming services, right? Um, except for Busy Signal, and we have some plans for that, too. Uh, it's going to be getting a cassette re-release and by uh, Lost at Sea Records, um, a new record label. So, uh, and I would hope that at some point we get that back up on streaming. Um, that's kind of been an issue that it's not. And you've got new music coming and shows coming. We can't announce it yet, but it's coming. 
Right. The one thing we can't announce uh, is, I mean, right now we have quite a few songs. We're kind of sifting through them right now. We are recording with Steve Evitz uh, in the beginning of March. Um, we're going to be finishing up this other demo song, sending it out to uh, labels, figuring out what the fuck we're going to do. And uh, yeah, and then uh, we're going to bring it to the people. That's right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And Simon, I just want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us tonight. You know, I've been listening to your music for a very long time, and I'm just glad we got to talk to you. So thank you. Hey, I appreciate it. Um, You're good guys. I like your podcast. All the best. There you have it, folks. Simon Brody. What an epic journey that was. <laughs> he's, dude, he's, he's awesome. He's really a great guy. We had, Tommy, we have been working on getting Simon on the show for almost a year. Yeah. Yes, it's been a long time coming. So I'm glad we finally got him. So many great stories, and Drowning Man has put out so much good music. And the new song, the new song is killer. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to see what else they do. I'm really just in the part where like, I think when he started discussing like, yeah, that's not even fully done yet. Like, you know, when yeah. he was talking about that track and it's like, yeah, this is kind of like, we got it together. We have a basic idea, but um, you know, there's, we want to, we want to kind of fine tune things and get real sharp. And it's like, damn dude, that's your, that's your first draft. Like, fuck, that's really great. Like that's, it sounds on point. I crack up when, whenever I mentally picture them drunk and just pull like pouring out of the venue and getting kicked out and a guy's wearing a football helmet and running into a street cab <laughs> i just that every time i i we there were so many times when we spoke before that we just kept kind of, hey can you tell this story and he would just go uh like, yeah i can but <sighs> all right like and he would you know reluctantly go through with it but He's just such a great guest, a great vocalist, writes some of the catchiest, funniest titles out there. And on top of that, really just a nice dude, a good dad and a really nice guy. Yeah. So thank you, Simon, so much for coming on the show. That was excellent. And how are we doing, Tommy? What's up with you? Lay it on me. Been home for the long weekend. Spent a lot of time. We did a new Costco puzzle. Uh, I saw the Costco puzzle. Folks, Tommy purchased a Costco puzzle and put it together with his children while we ate food from Costco. Your whole life is Costco. No, I'm about to be Kirkland signed up. I'm going <laughs> to get a contract and everything. Kirkland sheets, you name it, everything, everything head to toe Kirkland. Gary Shaw posted a picture of uh, his new jeans that he's buying from Kirkland. The Kirkland jeans. I saw those and I instantly tagged you because I knew you would appreciate that. I love it. they're just everything's decent quality and it's very fairly priced and it's that you know me i do know you tommy i constantly think about ways that i can save money (laughs) precisely like so uh but yeah we say so like do you do you go about your day and it's like a recurring thought how can i save money uh no but i know i plan out any major purchases or anything that we're doing that would involve any anything that's like under like 10 bucks like any kind of major thing that we're doing i make sure that we plan out really well and make 
informed choices about. So we come up with a dinner menu. Like a so weekend. you don't constantly think about ways that you can save money, but whenever money is going to be spent, you are thinking about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We will right, have to make a new clip. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. So we did that. Uh, Ellie got really excited about she actually takes the same test that my students at my school take. It's called iReady. It's a diagnostic exam that gives them uh, an approximate grade level for their math and reading. And she did really, really well on her math. She scored in the 99th percentile and she is roughly on third grade math, like middle of third grade math. So I made a deal with her yesterday. Um, I set up a third grade math test for her and I taught her some of the skills downstairs on the whiteboard. She took the test and if she scored a 90 or better, she would get an extra hour of iPad time and she killed it. She got a 96 on it and I was just, I was so proud of her. And, uh, that was a really nice feeling because it's, it's cool to see kids get excited about learning. Like she really does have that, like, I'm excited about getting smarter, which is really cool. That's gotta be good because I hated learning and did everything I could to avoid it. So if your kid is actually good at it and into it, it's gotta be, uh, a load off your chest. Oh, hundred percent. And it also, I think comes down to a lot of the way we frame those things as, you know, this is just, this is what you do when you, you learn about things. You be, it, it really becomes a habit. It's like, you're curious about something. So you go look it up, you find out more about that. There might be some other questions that you have based on what you read. So then you can find some more information and kind of clear up all that stuff. But yeah, everything's going pretty well. I'm a little bummed. I lost my good friend at work. Uh, I say lost. My good friend at work uh, resigned because he took a principal position up in Brooklyn. Um, so I, I'm going to be missing him dearly because he was a person that I really looked up to. And I, I uh, got a lot of help from and we kind of worked really well together. And I was kind of really I was sad to see him go. But um, it's for all Are for you the getting better. that job or what? I mean, uh, my application's in. They haven't set up my interview and stuff yet because uh, they are doing- How long ago did you put in the application? Monday? What was that? January 10th or something like that? So like a, a week ago from today. Okay. Yeah. So it hasn't been that long. Oh, no, no, no. The, my, they've already made it very clear when I spoke with my principal last week. She's like, we're going to do a series of things like where you know we want to really talk to you about like a performance task that's going to kind of give you- a real clear idea of what this job is actually going to entail, which the bulk of my job would be observing other teachers and then meeting with them to give them feedback on things they need to improve and then practicing those skills with them in the classroom. So saying like, Hey, this is what I want you to do. Watch me do it in your classroom or watch me do it outside of your classroom so that you can see what it looks like in, in my classroom. And then, you know, me going back and watching them a second time to say like, okay, let me like, remember what we talked about, go do it now. So I can see you improve on that skill. So, uh, I think that's really going to be, I like it. I like the idea of mentoring people. I like the idea of teaching people, but still at the same time, I'm, I'm near a classroom. I'm still working with students directly. I'm still working with staff directly. Uh, but I'm really interested to see what it looks like, but how are you doing? Me? I am okay. There's nothing really going on. I'm happy. I'm doing things, I'm out with people, I'm helping other people, I'm I'm doing it all, Tommy. So I yeah, it's kind of a no news is good news thing right now, but on top of that I feel good. So that's important. 
And remember the last episode, how I told uh, that moment on Twitch where I won the game and the guy spectated it and all this stuff? Oh, yeah. Same thing happened this past weekend, but instead of a glorious win, there was a faceplant awful loss that everybody witnessed. Wait a minute, though, but that, that does that mean you killed the main guy so that they could spectate? No, I was on his team, and I was the last one alive, and I died in a really horrible and embarrassing fashion, and everybody saw it. Oh. So, but I didn't get bummed out. You know why? Why? Balance, Tommy. Yeah. It's all about balance. Yeah. Look at- Because, you know, I had a fantastic win, and then I had a fantastic loss, and eventually I'll have a fantastic win again. It's all good. Ebb and flow. It's all good. Ebb and flow, brother. That's what it all is. Exactly. So I feel good. Everything's good. I thought I've been thinking about a random question for us to answer on the show. I don't know why. I just keep thinking of it, but you're going to go first. Okay. What do you do that annoys you the most? So the thing that I do that annoys me the most about myself is I set up enormous amounts for me to accomplish especially over the weekend. And I always fall short. And I know that I do that to myself on purpose because I want to try and get through as many things as I possibly can. But it's still also disappointing at the end of the weekend. And I look at the list and go, well, I didn't get to this and I didn't get to this and I didn't get to that. So uh, I, I think I set my goals a little bit too lofty sometimes. And then I end up always not disappointed in myself. No, I think that's a good way to say, it. you know, I end up disappointed in myself. I wanted to take the Christmas lights down this weekend and it just, it was so darn cold. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be outside for more than a, you know, 10 minutes at a time. That's a good one. I do that same thing every weekend where I feel like if I don't hit this number of things, then I have failed in some way, but you have to take into consideration, you know, you have three kids, you have a wife, you have many considerations and many people to answer to, so to speak. And Sometimes you're just tired. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Sometimes you're bummed out. There's there's a lot of factors at play. So I think if you at least do something, you're good. And look, your kids are alive. Your wife is there. Everybody's happy. So you got to, number one, you're always doing something. And number two, you got to be doing something, right? Can I add something that I think I do really well now that I used to do poorly at? Yes. I used to not be able to buy um, like alcohol at all without over consuming there was never yeah there was never a let's just put it this way if i bought a bottle of booze on friday by sunday morning it was gone like it was just i would tear through it as fast as i could um and it's funny uh for christmas i got a bottle of uh very nice uh whiskey from my uh mother-in-law and i still haven't opened it wow yeah Still sitting in the cabinet. Look at you. Still sitting in the cabinet with the, you know, the, the, the wrapper on it and everything. So the old days are certainly gone, huh? I, I've gone over this before, but I just can't deal with the hangovers. It's just, yeah. I, it's two, three days of just being miserable. It's just, it's, I can't stand that. Just, I don't want to ever be a part of that ever again. But all right. What's, do you know what I do that annoys me the most? I was just going to ask you the question. <laughs> what do you do that anno- <laughs> annoys you the most? It used to be, all right, when I, in the morning when I make coffee, mm-hmm. I would open the coffee maker and pull out the filter with the old wet grinds in it. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't hold it right, so I would drip coffee grinds and water from the coffee maker all the way across the kitchen floor 
to the trash can. And, and it was like really annoying to clean up, like really annoying. And I did this three or four times before I finally remembered to hold the coffee filter in a way that would make me not make a mess all over the floor. That used to be the most annoying. Okay. But I got that under control. So I have a, a new contestant now. I do this thing where it usually happens in the shower every morning where my brain will lock onto something and I can, I can almost feel smoke coming out of my brain and I focus in hard on something and think about it a lot. It's usually like I'll think about someone I don't like and I'm like, uh, and not a particular person. It always changes. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I'll think, I'll think like, oh, if I see this person again, they're going to say this and I'm going to say that. And if they say this, I'll say that. Or I'll think about an old situation and be like, they said this, you shouldn't have said that, you should have done this. Or or I'll just think about a random thing I have to do and be like, okay, this, that. Th-. And I can feel like smoke coming out of my ears because my brain is so hyper-focused. Um, but now, now that, I'm, I, now that I'm in a better and happier place, I'll step in the shower, I'll feel that starting, and I'll be like, oh, you're doing the shower thing. Yes. And then I just <laughs> stop. I stop. And I think about something else, or I just relax, or I just say, it's going to be a nice day. So that is probably the most annoying thing. So you know that that's an extraordinarily common thing, right? There's actually, no. there's, there is a term for it. The, uh, the French call it l'esprit d'escalier. It means the spirit of the staircase. Meaning like after you've left somewhere while you're on your way out, you go, fuck, that's what I should have said. That you come up with the perfect comeback after the fact. It's it it's that is a common occurrence, and I can't say that I don't do it as well when I've had an interaction with someone that has gone poorly. I do tend to fixate on like what I should have done or should have said in that moment. So I, I can totally empathize with you. Yeah, so it's it's ridiculous, but I don't do it as much anymore now because I don't know. I'm in a better place now than I was even a couple months ago. So so everything's good. That's great. I'm glad to hear that, folks. We're out of time for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And guess what? We're back next week with another brand new guest. Tommy, do you want to reveal who the guest is right now? Never. Thank you. Never. That was a test. That was a test to see to see you know, sometimes I uh sometimes on Twitter or not sometimes. I've done it a couple times. I think on Twitter or Twitch where I like kinda hint at who the guest is. That's something I'll continue to do. Because those are, you know, I think we reached the least amount of people on those platforms. So sometimes I'd like to slip in a little Easter egg. Yeah. So if somebody is there and they're like, Ooh, okay. Exactly. Get a little inside information. Exactly. So that's it folks. We hope you enjoyed it. We certainly did. And we're back next week. Brand new guest, brand new show every single week. That's it. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time. (laughs) 